Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Next week, we will be continuing our series on um, the problem with, and we'll be talking about the problem with catastrophe, uh, which if you haven't asked that question before, if God is so loving and if he's in control, then why are all these horrible things happening? And whether you've come up with an answer that you're living with, or maybe you're stuck in there, or you've just given up trying to figure that out. We're going to address that issue next week, and we'll finish out May with the problem with. So make sure you come back and tune in for this time. Here's a quote out of a book, Isaac Asimov, who says this, it lasted for a long time, I believe, a very long time. It was a great success, but even great successes come to a natural I mean, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, nothing great lasts forever or nothing good lasts forever, which is true. I had to add that, except God, grace, heaven. You know, there are a few things that do last forever. But that phrase was really coined in the 1300s in a love story of a couple in Troy. And in the 1300s, it's in, I mean, in a language, it says it's English, but I couldn't read it to save my life. Because it's talking about things that are temporary, that things are temporary. I have a list of temporary things. Maybe you can identify with some of these. The warm spot in the ocean. Now, whether that's natural or created, you can figure that one out. Um, <laughs> it's usually temporary. <laughs> a broken heart, your target heart rate. For me, a basket of jalapeno cornbread. That's very temporary. A bad hair day or just hair, um, fame. Our sun, our sun is halfway done. You only have 10 billion more years for it to, to go. So some of you will lose sleep over that. The other thing is temporary sleep, and the older I get, that is true. A food coma, for you golfers, a bucket of golf balls. We can think of, it doesn't last forever. Camp romances as Hume Lake is approaching. How many had a camp romance? You fell in love at camp, okay. Mike is the only one raising his hand. Come on now. <laughs> a rush of adrenaline. A feeling satisfied after eating Chinese food, which is true. Your waistline, which is also true. All sports records, summer, road construction is temporary, unless you live in the state of California. Um, a standing ovation. A warm plate of cookies. That's true in our house. Your mother-in-law's visit from out of town. May sound feel like eternity, I don't know. Gas prices. And working with people, because Kevin and I have worked together for 24 years, almost a quarter century. And we have said over those 24 years, I can't imagine doing ministry without you. And now I have to. I want to talk about honor today and especially honor in a cancel culture. I don't know how you guys grew up. I grew up in a household where you had to honor. You honored your parents. You honored people who were older than you. You honored position. And 
the main point I want to push all throughout today is that honor matters to God. God takes honor very seriously. And in this world we live in, it seems like that is a lost thing. I had a, an old Marine tell me, says, Tim, yeah, you're, it's harder and harder to find honor, but honor will never go away, which I believe. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Titanic. Now, what form of the movie you've seen, whether it's the black and white, my first really seeing the Titanic was watching the unsinkable Molly Brown uh, with Debbie Reynolds, which I just bought the DVD. I grew up on those musicals. I love those things. Or if you saw it with Jack saying, I'm the king of the world, or whatever version you saw the Titanic, some things you may not know is that some of the richest people in the world were on that boat. And if you Remember, they all, all of them had scenes of, you know, people getting the lifeboats and then rich people trying to sneak in and do this where sailors were holding guns out and forcing them off the boat. The thing is, that never happened. It's Hollywood. Hollywood could not believe that people would actually die with honor, that people actually lived with the whole concept that women and children first. One person was John Jacob Astor. He was the richest man in the world at the time. He pushed through with his family, got his family and his wife on the boat, and then backed away and just waved as they went down. Benjamin Guttenheim, his family, the Guttenheim Museum, he went and got his servants, he got all his people, and put them on the boat. And then he back, went back to his cabin, got fully dressed in a tux, with a red rose and made sure his servant was going to be able to tell his wife, tell my wife, I played the game straight to the end. No woman shall be left aboard this ship because Benjamin Gutenheim was a coward. And to Hollywood, it just was unthinkable that people do that. We have to add this to it to make it more reasonable that people live by a code of honor. And even the word Honor, the word for it is to value, to respect, give high esteem, to treat as precious, to make weighty, almost the word holy. The opposite of that, the word is without honor, means nothing special, no reason to treasure. They're just ordinary or common, so don't give them the time of day. Honor, especially in our culture where it's just canceling everything. God takes honor seriously. If you have your Bibles or smartphone device, you go to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 12. And again, I, I love the Old Testament. I love reading the Old Testament. And, and this story in particular, uh, you have Moses and his siblings, who is Miriam and Aaron. And it says that Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of the Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, we don't know if that's Zipporah, whether it's another woman, whether it was because Cushite is from Ethiopia, was she black? I mean, a lot of people want to put this speculation here. But what the emphasis is, is you have brother and sister starting to talk about their brother. 
And it says they began to talk against Moses. It doesn't say just to themselves. It wasn't like they were having tea and saying, what do you think about Moses and this wife? Because none of us would ever talk about our family members ever, right? You know, who married who and who's doing what and who raised this and everything else. I guarantee it wasn't just Moses, just Aaron and Miriam. Because we don't, it never sticks like that. Again, not that any of you would do that. Share prayer requests. You know, we got to pray for so-and-so because they're doing this and this. You know, sometimes prayer requests becomes gossip sessions um, rather than actual prayer requests. And so this is going on. And what I, what I don't want you to miss here, because Miriam and Aaron, part of even sibling rivalry, says, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And so they're talking about, hey, Moses, you know, Moses, he was raised in Pharaoh's household while Miriam and Aaron, they were, they were slaves. They were making bricks for the, for the Pharaohs. And you can see this. I'm sure you, you maybe in your own family, isn't this, isn't this the one that did this? Isn't this the one that did that? And now you're coming to me with this and you think you're all that? And this is all going down. And then comes verse 4. Act, well, let me read the end of verse 2. Hasn't he spoken to this? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord, what does it say? I just need to sit there for a minute. The Lord heard this. You think he hears here? You? No, it's just Moses. I mean, his whole focus of attention. I mean, he can't multitask or anything. The Lord heard this. And right then, at once it says in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. Now, I mean... When you're called out by God, hey, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, hey, come to the tent of the meeting, which is the tabernacle. And so they're called out by God. Hey, guys, you need to be here. And it says in, in verse 5, then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance into the tent and summoned them. Now, understand, it wasn't just Moses, Aaron, and, and Miriam that came there because the whole camp saw the cloud come down. Because a cloud would come down, that meant the Lord was in the house. God's in the building. And so a cloud by day, a fire by night. So the whole community knew something was up. And I guarantee it wasn't just those three who were in on what was taking place. And he calls them out specifically. Here's Moses, there's Aaron, Miriam. Aaron, Miriam, come here. Now, verse 6 says, listen to my word. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. I don't know if you've ever had a parent say that or intently look at you. Watch my lips. Listen closely to what I'm going to say. Now, John, you're going to have to do some research for me on this one because I tried to find anywhere because the whole listen to the words, very rarely does anyone actually hear the words of God. I mean, vocally. I mean, you can't find too many places in Scripture that that's taking place. That's not how he normally operates. He's going to explain that in a minute. So I'm, 
I think I did research, but I, I, I need to go deeper or I just didn't find it. I think this is the first time Miriam and Aaron had ever heard the voice of God audibly, which I'm sure there's laundry to be done after that fact, uh, tell you the truth. Because he says to them, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions and I speak to him in dreams. Not necessarily face to face. But this is not true with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all his house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the, for, the form of the Lord. When then, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the ang anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. God was listening. God takes honor very seriously to the point Miriam becomes a leper at that point in time. I mean, the story goes on, the whole sermon wrapped in there, but she has to walk through the camp as a leper and be kept outside of camp for seven days. I mean, the whole community can't move until her cleansing is done, her time. And she was eventually healed. I guarantee you that that changed her of how important God's, God takes honoring people. God takes dishonoring someone very seriously. And the Bible speaks about honor all the time. Dishonoring can shut down the good and the great of things that could take place. There's the passage in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, you have Jesus going back to his hometown. But Mark chapter 5, in context, he's just done a great, a lot of miracles. I mean, he's healed a demon-possessed person, healed a woman of 12 years of bleeding. He heals a gal that is dead, a little girl that's dead. And now he comes to his hometown. His hometown is Nazareth, not Bethlehem. That's where he was born, but Nazareth is where he was raised. And the first thing that he goes to the synagogue and starts teaching. And in verse 2 of Mark, chapter 6, it says, where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? And he, is, he, he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Uh, Jesus' response, many of you know that, is only in his hometown, among the relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. I mean, some of us know that the hardest people to speak to are our family. Who knows is the best? And why is it hard to speak to them about a truth? Because they know us the best. You know, you're the one that cut your brother out of the tree. You're the one that read your sister's diary. Oh, wait, wait, that's me. I'm right, that's crushed. They remember those things. They know. And now you're coming preaching to us. Wait, doesn't Mary son? Didn't he make my table for me? And he's doing all this? Verse five. He could not do any miracle except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, I want you to notice, it doesn't say he would not. He could not. Now, please don't take this the wrong way. 
It's not that all of a sudden, because they challenged or just didn't honor him, it sapped his power from him. No, he was the son of God. He can do anything he wants to do. Anytime, he's God. But if you remember Jesus, his walking orders were from his father. I don't do anything I, that I don't see my father do. I don't say anything that my father doesn't tell me to say. Now, I can't find a chapter and verse in this, but I would say the father said no because of lack of honor. When you dishonor someone, you lose something. It's a costly thing, and throughout Scripture, we're told to, we're told to honor God. I mean, we honor him with obedience. We honor him in worship. We honor him with what we give, our resources, our talents that we offer to him. That's how we honor God. We're told to honor our father and mother. I mean, that's the only commandment that actually has a part where you will lengthen your life when you honor your father and mother. Now, some say they just won't kill you. So that's why if you honor them, your parents won't kill you early. All right? That's partly true, most likely. But... It says honor your father and mother with a promise. Honor your spouse. Peter talks about that. And I mean, all these scriptures are for you to look up later, but Peter talks about that. And guys, it says that if you're not honoring your wife, guess what? Your prayers are being hindered. When we don't honor, there's a cost factor. Honor those in authority over us, our leaders. That's hard. Right now, my friend's family, Paul Brown, this is Paul Brown, my friend who passed away, officer, last year. They're in Washington, D.C., where they're having a national uh, service for the, from Thursday till tomorrow. I mean, it's a huge deal. All the officers who fell in the line of duty are being honored. And they're being honored over the last three years, because the last two years they couldn't do anything. And to see and I have been sent pictures to see my friend's name on the National Monument carved in stone. Now, this is tough on Lori, his wife. I mean, Lori's been, I mean, I've known Lori the longer I've known Paul. Lori was Gwen's roommate uh, when we met. And uh, two weeks ago was the California Memorial. So my... Our friend Lori has been through the mill. She's had basically three funeral services in three weeks because there was the national one at the state capitol, there was the county one in Fresno County, and now the national one in, in, in Washington, D.C. And so I, I was honored <clears throat> to be a part of that celebration. I was honored to be a part of the family. And so I was there Sunday, Sunday and Monday, and we were told, so you had 38 officers being honored who've died. Um, and again, they have been, that's over, over a two-year span. And we were told as we gathered on Sunday that on Monday morning, we're going to go over to the IMAX Theater. We're going to have a ceremony there, and, you, and Governor Newsom wants to meet all of you personally. <laughs> and so we go over to the memorial uh, to the IMAX theater, if you've never been there. I mean, it's huge screen seating and all the families are sitting and um, all of a sudden there's my friend Paul on the big IMAX screen with his end of watch date time. Um, and as we go down, I'm 
thinking to myself, do I shake his hand? I mean, I, I, I just disagree with the man, like 99.989% of the time. So, um, but I've been taught all my life to honor. And so I'm thinking, what, do I say anything? Do I just shake his hand? What do I say? Uh, and as I go by, and I'm introduced to him, I says, this is Pastor Tim and his wife, Gwen. This is Paul's pastor and his very good friend. And I shake his hand. I can't promise you I didn't shake it harder than I would normally, but I, 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 do I, I turn my ring around? You know, I, I can't say I did or didn't, but. I did say when I shook his hand, uh, thank you for taking the time to honor my friend. And he got emotional. It was weird. I mean, in my mind, he's human. I mean, I, I, seriously. I mean, you got to think. Yeah, you, you look at that and go, dude, he's, this stuff was getting, because he went down to his knee every single time a kid, because here you got all these families with kids who his father's not coming home. Or mom. And he went down on his knee every single one to talk to each kid individually. And you could tell, I mean, he's a dad. He's got young kids. Uh, it was a powerful time because he did take the time, even though I disagree with him. You can disagree without being dishonoring. I'm, I'm trying. That's hard. I mean, you know, there's a story where David, you know, he's being chased by Saul. Saul's hiding out, you know, David's hiding in the cave and Saul has to do business with nature. He's got to go take a dump and he goes in the cave and here's David with 600 smelly guys. I mean, he has the opportunity to take the throne right then and there. And what does he do? Sneaks up, cuts a corner of his robe off while he's doing it. I guess he was into it. And, and then when he walks out, David comes out of the cave and says, this is what I could have done to you, but I'm not going to do that. He showed honor. When he didn't have to. We're called to honor each other. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Philippians 2.3, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. That means you extend honor more so than you would want for yourself. Giving honor is placing a value on someone. There's a story that comes out of sports. Babe Ruth, some of you who follow baseball, Babe Ruth is known as the home run king, the, the great Bambino. And in 1923, a paper in Los Angeles decided to do this, the, the best home run hitter in all of high school in Los Angeles County. And the paper convinced Babe Ruth to give a bat the bat, first bat that he hits a home run in Yankee Stadium. And he agreed. And in 1923, April, Babe Ruth hit a home run in Yankee Stadium. And sure enough, he sent that bat to L.A. to be presented to Victor Azarati. And, and the inscription in the letter says, to the boy home run king of Los Angeles. Now, Victor Azarati, he became well-known on himself. Now, some of you who know these names, we're all dating ourselves. Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, Edward G. Robinson, Jane Harlow. He was their agent. And so he 
was a very successful man, but he had no family. And so when he died, he had this great sports collection, which he gave to the nurse that took care of him this whole time. Marcia or Marcia, depending on uh, Tahada. And he gave her this bat along with some other things. And what did she do with it? She put it on her bed for 18 years. Because she said it looked like a, just one of those bats you get at a game, you know, memorabilia bat type thing. Well, she retired 18, year, 18 years later, and she wanted to order, open up a restaurant, but she didn't have enough money. And her family says, well, remember that stuff that, you know, Hazarati gave you? Why don't, why don't you go check if that's worth anything? So she took it down to a memorabilia shop and found out that the bat was worth something. Matter of fact, it sold in 2004 for $1.26 million. Uh, he didn't sign too many bats. And what she did with the money is that she took part of the money and opened up a restaurant. But the other part of the money, she started a foundation for kids because Babe Ruth loved kids, especially kids who had difficult times. And this is because the papers couldn't believe she gave the money away. This is what she said. The bat was only valuable because Babe Ruth's name was on it. Since he made it valuable, the only reasonable thing I could do was something that would honor his life. What made it valuable, whose name's on it. What makes you valuable is whose name is on you. That makes us valuable. It's not Tim Stevenson that has value. It's because Tim Stevenson was saved by Jesus Christ, whose name that I'm saved by. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. That's what makes me valuable. And when we honor each other, we're giving value to that person. Lastly, we're called in Scripture to honor spiritual leaders. 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. I want to take some time to honor my friend, Kevin Brown, who for 24 years, uh, has been by my side in just about every capacity you could be in here in this church. Started as youth and then as the, ended up as the executive pastor. Honor him for 24 years of being partners in arms. For being in, a hawk, in the foxhole with me. And sometimes bloody times. I've said it before, you know, this whole pandemic and all for the last two years, Kevin and I haven't disagreed more in the last two years than all the other years combined. But he has stood by me and honored the fact that I'm a senior pastor. Um, I want to honor my friend who has fought the good fight, not like he's dying or anything, okay? It's not a funeral. Honor him for being one of my closest friends who knows me uh, better than most. 
Now, the truth is, that he's, you know, he's not going anywhere. He's not moving. He's not going to another state or anything. Um, but all good things do come to an end. But in this case, it's for a new beginning, something new. So I'm going to invite Miss Mindy uh, Rold, who is Kevin's sister, to say some things. So. Jeez, <laughs> um, I'm really nervous um, because I want to be able to honor my brother. Just pretend he took something of yours growing up. Well, I did want to start. Go, go zero in on that. With that. a disclaimer, because last week he said I was the one always in trouble, That's and I'm right. going to clarify okay. that. Right. Um, Payback. The Brown and Roll family, I'm, I'm very transparent that um, as a child and teen, um, I had a lot of mental health and physical struggles. So I was in and out of the home, getting lots of therapy and treatment. Um, and as a result, my parents had a handful with me and my younger brother um, was born with a lot of physical conditions. So really what happened is he should be thanking us because we were a huge distraction so he could get into trouble. <laughs> Um, but in all seriousness, we were not that close growing up because of my struggles, but it, we always kind of had this deeper understanding. Um, I covered for him. We have this trust and love. Um, so when he called me, I was 25 living in SAC. He wanted to set me up with a new volunteer at Horizon. He was at Horizon at the time, and I said, go ahead. And so he decided to set me up at a Horizon Boogie Bash. I think that's what it was called, a Boogie Bash. I'm a blind date. Um, I remember before I left that night, before I could even get back on the freeway to go back up to SAC, he called me, wanting the inside out, what I thought about my, my, my future husband. Um, six months later, he was adamant that I come to church. I had lived in SAC. I went to church in SAC. He was adamant I come one Sunday. Little did I know him and my husband had planned to propose to me during church on a Sunday. Um, and less than, I think, seven months later, he helped officiate my wedding with my father. Um, soon after I joined his life group, the Crossins started a, a wonderful life group and Kevin and Katrina took it over. Um, it, it was an amazing time living life with other couples um, during that time. Um, but one specific time, I remember going to the life group alone. Um, Mike couldn't go that one um, Tuesday. And I remember we hadn't ever done this, but we did communion. And I remember as I'm sitting there praying, um, by myself, um, somebody comes and touches my feet. I'm like, what is going on? And I open up my eyes, and here's my brother washing my feet. And that's an example. He might not remember that, but I remember that. Um, he saw my pain in that moment because he knew we had been trying to have kids for several years, and I had gotten pregnant and miscarried. Um, and that kind of is our relationship, is he never was one to talk. I was actually really shocked when he said he wanted to be a psychologist because I was alone with all the therapy, and I don't think he had ever even been to a therapist. But in that moment, that was, has kind of been our connection, is we didn't need much words. We just kind of had that connection that he knew my heart and I knew his heart. So, of course, when John Grinrod and him got up here with my dad's um, idea of starting M360, um, I thought, what a cool opportunity, because I had never really spent a lot of time with just Kevin and my dad in an opportunity like that, um, as well as just an out-of-the-box mission trip. And God has a funny sense of humor, because year one, no way I could go. I had three kids under the age of two at home. Um, but year two, 
um, I said yes to him, the first of many yeses. And that year was a really special year. We shared a tent together, which was not special. <laughs> but, um, and I remember that year people tell me he was afraid I was gonna kind of uh, leave him in the dust on the bike. But we rode together and my dad was there and that was my introduction to the M360 family, which many have remained part of that family. Um, but that was a special time just spending time together. And then I said yes again the following year. And many of you know that following year, um, the last night we stay in a hotel and our father um, passed away in his sleep. And obviously anyone that's gone through something like that, that, that day was traumatic, um, shocking, you know, where you're going through it like a bad dream. And um, I just remember later that morning, we finally got time alone, Kevin and me, um, in the hotel room waiting to leave. And um, again, not many words, but Kev comes over and gives me a Kevin hug. If you've known Kevin for a long time, um, to me, that meant something. He gave me a Kevin hug and we had words of, you know, our, our mission was to go home and support my mom and um, carry on my dad's legacy. And I mentioned that because I noticed a change in Kev weeks and months later. He had a new renewed passion. Um, he started showing emotion in his preaching um, he had a new kind of, um, I think, determination to help more people in his counseling. And I remember he tried to take on as many clients as he could of my father's. And just, he was counseling people grieving for my dad while he was grieving himself. Um, and just that whole experience, um, obviously it became a family affair, Mission 360, not just for the mission, because there's no other mission that has raised more money and helped more people than M360. But that following year, my mom joined as the cheerleader and our kids started joining. I saw Kevin in the role of crazy dad, crazy uncle, travel agent, because it's a huge undertaking to plan something like that. But Trevor on the back of a trailer, then he was back on the tandem. I mean, it was crazy riding behind them. Um, eventually Trevor riding on his own and McKenna and Kevin um, me riding tandem one year with him, but just that experience, our kids, our youngest, Trevor Mason and Nevaeh are gonna be 18. And they started M360, learning to serve and experience that. And anyone that's been on M360 know it's, it's a second family. Um, and our mission always on M360, why I've loved it so much has been, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, but it's not a church mission. So many people that have been part of M360 are not part of necessarily Horizon, exactly kind of what Kevin's heartbeat has been. And then I said yes to get. He calls me, he's like, Mindy, I know you teach full time, um, but I really think you'd be awesome as a children's ministry. It would just be Sunday and your kids are growing up in the children's ministry. And of course, I did not say yes right away. I went home and prayed about it and talked to my husband. But eventually I said yes to being the children's ministry director for a few years. And then I saw Kevin in a new light. I saw him as administrator. I saw him as like the jack of all trades, like all the things he does or has done while he's been at Horizon. Um, he allows you to do well in your ministry because he'll get you whatever you need. You tell him, he supports you, he encourages you. Um, at the same time, we did VBS and Sunday school and children's ministry while our own kids were going through it, which was even extra special. But then I really realized that I am not hyper type A, okay? I'm like an A minus. <laughs> Kevin is like an AP, A plus, plus, plus. Um, 
And here's the thing. God give, gave him that gift to be an amazing administrator, delegator, um, where he's able and has been able to make Horizon partly so successful because of that. And that was a joy to see him in a different light as my boss. Um, and then, I know I'm crazy, he calls me again. Why, this time it wasn't a call, it was a text. Would you be willing to co-project manager Night to Shine? Now, this is really weird because I never turn on the TV in the morning. I happened to turn it on that week and saw Tim Tebow doing a video his first year and showing the video and getting emotional. I think you probably saw that same video. Tim um, <laughs> getting emotional partly because I was a live-in um, provider to get my way through college with someone that had special needs. Um, and of course, I said yes to Kevin. Tammy, I don't know if you got that same text. We really said yes, not really realizing. Here it is, my brother asking. I never say no to Kevin. Um, but just the joy of being able to work with him. I'll be honest. He really just does the emails and the contracts. But that day of, Tammy and me know he's going to be there with anything and everything we need. Um, he's trustworthy and reliable. Um, and he has made a major impact in all the roles he's played in my life. Um, I know, and I got to get to my last page on my notes because I don't want to. I don't want to forget this. Um, I know to step down from Horizon Pastor has been extremely difficult process. Many, many prayers, worship, wise counsel for him and his family. Because I want to honor Kevin and Katrina and McKinnon and Trevor because church ministry is twenty four seven. Um, we all can be in ministry in our jobs, but I can't tell you how many times he would come to unlock the door or to have to be somewhere at an event, and it affects the whole family, and they have supported him. And I know um, it has not been an easy decision, um, but I know, as he shared last week, the seeds planted for the 180 and being able to do full-time ministry. It's exactly what my dad did. He did full-time ministry um, as a counselor and did ministry, church ministry on the side. Um, and I would say timing is everything. Um, Kev's desire has always been to know and hear God's heartbeat for his life and his own families. And um, I have no doubt right now, Dad, our dad and our Heavenly Father would be saying, well done, good and faithful servant at Horizon. Um, and in closing, because I don't want to go... <laughs> Um, two things. One, if you need some side money, you guys might not know this, but he is passionate about something else. He is passionate about getting rid of nose hairs and ear hair. And I have video. So if you ever want to know, or maybe we could start a YouTube TikTok channel, I don't know, but he could earn some side uh, revenue that way. But in all, honestly, Kev, um, thank you for being authentic, passionate, and faithful your many roles at Horizon, but um, also as my big brother. I am going to miss you. Mr. John, come on up. Where are you? Mr. John Grinnell, there you are. John has something to say from the board perspective. She took half your time, so don't worry about it. So. <laughs> Too much, uh, and time-wise, yeah, thank you. Uh, geez, I don't stand a chance, dude, if your voice cracked. You know? <laughs> my mom always said my bladder, God gave me a bladder right next to my eyeballs. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, because I, you know. 
Kevin, you know, it's personal. It's a personal moment for so many in this room. And it's personal for me. For goodness sakes, I'm going to be 60 this year. And really? I, no, still, look at me. <laughs> um, you know, I think I first met Kevin. That I was on staff at Horizon years and years ago as the administrator. And uh, Tim and I interviewed Kevin together. That was my first experience with him. And we grew close over the years. Um, you said no, if I remember. Well, anyway, so that's why you're the senior pastor. <laughs> um, but um, Kevin was uh, our kids' youth pastor. He shared Christ with our kids. And they all came to Christ. Brian Crossan, too. Don't want to forget him, but Kevin was the first there. Uh, Kevin and I shared an office together. And um, we laughed a lot and we hung out a lot. And then over the years, um, um, Mission 360, uh, Mindy gave the lowdown on that, but uh, one day right out here in the lobby, because I I'd bought, bought family bikes for Christmas one year and was riding my bike a lot, and Kevin says, hey, you know, my dad and I used to take this group of kids down the coast of California um, every year. We did this bike ride. He said, we should do that. I'd ridden like 10 miles as my longest ride, and you're talking about a 400-mile ride. And, and I'm like, that's crazy. And like a week later, he emails me and says, hey, I'm serious. We should do this thing. And boy, we worked together a lot. And we really grew close over that. It was 2004, 2005 time frame. And, um, and I was there that day. I got the news about Dan. And went up and Kevin comes over across the room. There's Dan still on the bed. And um, Kevin gives me a big hug because excuse me, four years previous, I had left Mission 360 on the first day because my dad had gone into the hospital and he died a week or two later. So we always shared that. And um, that was cool. That was special. Mission 360, all the years that we did it together and, and of course it carried on after that. So special, so personal uh, for so many of us. And, I'm, you know, it's it's been cool to share this past 24, 25 years with Kevin, and I, Kevin, I look forward to the next 24 and 25 years. So we have, do we have a door here? Yeah, it's we, over to the side. So once, Kevin, once you come on up, it's around the corner. Give Kevin a hand. gift here it's a bunch of keto stuff <laughs> keto ketchup because he can't use the what, what we gave you the actual stuff that tastes good uh, yeah what is it yeah this keto organic unsweetened ketchup just squish a tomato over the top of it what the heck uh, and we got some liquid refreshment adult beverages that he likes and uh, some other gift certificates here so so look at it because we're going to take it from you and give it to you in the next service. So <laughs> don't get too excited about it. Um, but Kevin has been um, a friend. And the thing is, he's not going anywhere. 
uh, I was going to go off the board of 180, but now I'm, st I'm his boss. So uh, I'm, I said I'm in for another 10 years uh, to be on the board. So obviously uh, there's going to remain that connection. And um, he has been truly faithful uh, as a friend, as a pastor, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And um, we are better for it. I am better for it. So as you said to me at the cemetery when we came back from Mexico, for, you know, I, we hear that his father's passed, and so we're down on a mission in Mexico, and we head back, and as he's sitting there, we're standing there at the cemetery, and we look at each other, and, you know, again, Kevin is not a big hugger, so let me encourage you after this, <laughs> hug him with a little butt squeeze. He'd appreciate it. Anyway, you know, we hug, and he just kind of looks back like this, and he says, you're my dad now. <laughs> he was serious. And I look at him and go, what? And we both start laughing at the same time, going, so son, it's a scary world out there, but be brave. You can do it. So, guys, Mr. Kevin Brown. John, pray for Kevin. Uh, Kevin, I'm looking forward Guys, to the next Guys, why don't you stick your hand out here. Let's pray for Kevin, Katrina, and the kids. Our Holy Father, we just thank you for Kevin Brown and for all that he has meant to us. And, Lord, just for who he is. Thank you, God, for his family, for Katrina, for Trevor, McKenna. The sacrifices over the years that they've made, the time away from Kevin, from Dad, from Husband. Father God, we pray that your blessings on Kevin's family, we pray that you're, we know you hold the future, God, and we pray for a strong, positive, wonderful future for the family. Father, we thank you for the gifts that you've given Kevin that have blessed all of us, and we thank you for his life, and we thank you, God, for your goodness. We praise you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.